You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Um, I was reading a letter um, that Peter wrote, one of his first letters to the churches in Asia, or Asia Minor, and it said... In that letter, it said, in 1 Peter 3.15, it said, But in your hearts, revere, in other words, honor Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer. And today, I want to honor the Lord with what he has done in our lives. I want to honor him with his undeniable presence in my personal life and in later on in JD in my life. Um, but I also want you to leave with a thought today that God is in the ordinary. He is in the ordinary. He is always, always, always around and he's always present. And so I, today I'm going to share with you many pieces of my story. And I've entitled this message, Unshakable Hope unshakable hope because I have learned there is if there's anything I have learned I have learned and I want to encourage you with a passage actually in scripture that really exemplifies what God who God is and um, it's found in Romans 8 it's verse 31 through 39 so if you have your Bible um, I want to actually I want you to mark it in your Bible because this is something um, I believe that in times of our lives, when we're going through things, when we're going through trials, it is a good passage to remind yourself of. And I'll tell you, sometimes you have to remind yourself of daily. It's found in Romans 8, and it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. See, the foundation of our hope, of JD and mine, of our hope is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And so I have said this many times. I have told you and everybody that knows me knows I will, you know, die telling you that there is power in your story. There is power. There is redeeming power. There is power that Jesus can heal. Jesus can change. Jesus can make all things new. The power of the gospel, the power of salvation is in your story. And I believe that with all my heart that God does things in our lives so that we're able to lead others into salvation as well. And so today I'm going to share a lot of my story. I'm going to start with being born. Hello, I was born. <laughs> 
I was born and raised, but not in church. I was born, and my parents actually did not know Jesus. And by cultural standards, actually, I was an accident. So my father and my mother were very young. My mom was 17 years old, and my father was 20 years old, and it was an unplanned pregnancy. And uh, they had many opportunities to decide what they were going to do with that pregnancy. But they decided that they were going to get married and they were going to raise me. And that um, they were going to own up basically to their new life and what was ahead. Um, We were very, very, very poor. I mean, to say we were poor is an understatement. We were very poor. And when I was four years old, my father moved to the United States by himself to, for the American dream, right, in search of the American dream. And about six months after that, uh, my mother and I came. And uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a difficult phase, different, some difficult years. But at the age of six, we lived in New York City. At the age of six, my mother and I had a friend who invited us to a little storefront church in NYC. Thank God for little churches. They invited us, and my mom and I soon began attending. My father followed suit maybe a few months later. And I can remember, I vividly remember um, singing at the top of my lungs to worship songs. I mean, the church was probably 30, 40 people. It was tiny at the time. And I would sing at the top of my lungs, and everybody could hear me. And I was six years old, so it was cool, right? Now, as an adult, if they hear you, you better sing. (laughs) But I was young, and it was awesome, and I gave my life to Jesus at a connect group. You don't know how important connect groups are. I gave my life to Jesus at six years old at a connect group, and at seven, both myself and my parents, we were baptized in waters together at seven years old. So my father was on fire for Jesus, right? And he's decided that he wanted to bring this Jesus, this new, you know, relationship that he had formed. He wanted to bring it to his parents. And so we moved back to Brazil. My mom was pregnant with my sister, eight months pregnant with my sister. We hop on the plane. We move our entire lives to Brazil. And my father's going to share the gospel with his family. And I'm not going to tell parts of the story that are not mine to share, but I will tell you what I have learned even at such a young age. From the age of 8 to 12, we lived in Brazil, and I learned hard work. I learned tenacity. I saw my parents struggle. Again, we were very poor. I saw them, but I also saw them fight, and I saw them rise, and I saw, and I tell you what, my parents are my heroes. I saw them you know, struggle but never give up. I saw them rise every morning and make sure that we had food on the table. My parents are awesome, and I honor them. So we moved back at the age of 12, okay, we moved back to the States, and uh, we go back to New York City a few months after we moved to Connecticut. I lived in Bridgeport, guys. From the ages of 13 to about 18, I lived in Bridgeport, and I will not... Um, go into many details about that, but let's just say that my teenage years were turbulent. Um, and but when I turned about 15, between the ages of about 15 and 18, I decided that I knew everything. Any 15-year-old know everything? Yeah, I knew everything. And so I decided that I was going to take on jobs in the weekend so I would miss church, right? At that point in my life, I was very disillusioned, and I did not understand why things were happening the way they were happening. And, you know, sometimes... Um, As a teenager, you don't really understand much, but you just decided, you know what? I don't need that. I'm going to go do things my own way. I'm going to, you know, I got my life. I got this. So every Friday, it was interesting. We had this youth pastor, and I shared this before. We had this youth pastor at the church there. He would call me every Friday, and this was pre-cell phone age. Can you remember that? 
pre-cell phone, he would call the house and leave a message. And I would walk through the doors because I worked on Fridays and my mom would say, hey, pastor called again. And I'd be like, uh-huh. But every Friday he called me without fail. We had youth services that night and he would call me to see if I was going to come. I tell you what that did. It left the door open for me. Right? And so... Um, I, one of those, I was in a relationship at the time and one of those, uh, services were on Sunday. So one of Sunday night actually. And so one of those days I had, I had been in a fight with a boyfriend and I was really upset and really heartbroken. And my mother downstairs, um, started to play a CD with her worship song. And in this worship song, you know, when you crank up the volume because parents, you know what you're doing. So you crank up the volume, right? And she was playing this worship song, and this song was all about how God loved us and how his love for us and his love. And it was like as if God was speaking, you know, in that song. And I began to weep in my room, and I'm like, it was not pretty. It was an ugly cry. And I was crying and crying and crying, and I decided, okay, Mom, I'm going to church with you today. So I cried all the way to church. I cried all the way home, and I rededicated my life to Jesus that day. And I said, God, I'm with you. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm with you. I felt his love, and I really had to figure out what I was going to do with my life at that point. It was 18, college, and everything in between. Um, and so a few months after that, my father went on a retreat and had a real encounter with Jesus. And actually, the retreat was called Encounter. He had a real encounter with Jesus, and everything changed in my home that day. Everything changed in our home. And I remember we picked up, we went to pick up dad from this retreat, which was out of state. And in the car, he wept as he asked for forgiveness and told us everything that had happened. And when I saw Jesus in that light in him, and when I saw the weeks that went by and how everything really did change, I thought, I want that kind of relationship. I want that. I want to experience Jesus like that. And so from that moment on, things began to change in my life, in direction of my life. I felt like my life was now God's. And so I'll skip a little bit because there's a few years and everything that happens. And JD, JD and I get reconnected because when I lived in Brazil, um, we went to his dad's church, which I forgot to mention. So I knew him. I've known him since I was eight years old. So careful, parents. Your son or daughter-in-law might be in here. <laughs> hey, I, I hope they're in here. Um, so I know we got reconnected when he came to our church here in Connecticut to lead worship and, um, you know, we reconnected, we talked, but we didn't start dating, um, you know, fast. We just re reconnected as friends. And so, um, a few, you know, time goes by, uh, we decide that we're going to date. We decide that this is for marriage. And so I moved back to Brazil and we get, you know, we get prepared, we get married and all that. And I want to skip to the point where we are now leading the uh, youth and young adults at the church. We're pastors in his dad's church, and God begins to move in our hearts. And he wakes up one night and looks at me, and he goes, Honey, where's Houston? <laughs> I said, I don't know. All I know about Houston is, Houston, we have a problem. You live in here, right? I mean, up here, what do you really know about Houston? That's what I knew. And so uh, we didn't know, but, you know, we felt this calling inside, and so we end up moving to Houston. We are you know, in Humble, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. And we're there. We've landed, you know, the plane. <laughs> we're there. And we're in this hotel room. And we're like, okay, what do we do now? We're here, God. We came like you told us to come. We're here. And so we pick up this magazine, a for rent or apartment guide or something magazine that they have. In Houston, they have a lot of these. And it's looking for apartments that you want to rent. 
And so we look at it, and I kid you not, the first one I, we point to, we're like, okay, we're going to call that place and see if, you know, if we can get an apartment. My parents so graciously decided to move with us and to say, hey, we're not going to break the family. We'll go with you guys. And we're like, thank you, Jesus. Somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> so we look at these apartments, and our thought is we're going to live with them for a while until we figure this out, right? So we go to these apartments. The first one I point to, I call. We make the appointment. We go. We're walking around and touring to find an apartment to live. And I talk to the lady. It's like, oh, um, what you do is fun. It looks fun. Like, what do you do? Like, you're showing me apartments, right? She goes, oh, I show apartments. And, you know, this is the job. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, cool. So I look at her very boldly and say, do you have an opening? And she looks at me. She goes, matter of fact, we have an opening for a weekend person and if you um, get the job you live for free and I thought God led us to the right place all right let me talk to your manager she looks at me like I'm crazy because I had no experience I've never done it before like it had I mean nothing right I'm just moving back from Brazil like there was no reason for me to want to talk to the manager but I go into the office talk to the manager and I kid you not I get hired on the spot and she thinks, like, everybody's like, okay, this is really weird, but we're going to go with it, right? And so JD and I are like, okay, great, we have an apartment. Now I'll figure out how to get another job throughout the week so we can eat, right? Um, JD was coming, obviously, and he um, had to get all his paperwork and everything situated, so we understood that I was going to cover for a little while until everything got, you know, fell into place and he found a job and all of that. So we were set. I worked that weekend, and then... By Monday morning, when I'm talking to the manager, she hires me full-time. And I was like, praise Jesus, everything is falling into place. Yes. So we're like trying to figure out, okay, church is next, right? Because when you feel like God is leading you to something, you, you kind of go, okay, God's going to get us to exactly where we need to go, right? Everything is going to open up, and so we get on this path. And so we see, we turn on the TV, and we see Victoria Osteen on the television preaching, because it was like Mother's Day weekend, I think, or it was the message for Mother's Day weekend. And she's preaching there, and we go, that's where we need to go. But how do we get there? Remind you, we've never, we don't know anything about town, so we're like, you know, waiting to figure out where that church is. And my husband didn't speak English. So it was me trying to figure most of the things out at the time. And so I am working that week, and uh, they hired a temp uh, to come in and do some stuff in the office where I'm working. And she uh, starts to tell me about the church she goes to. Guess what church she goes to? Lakewood Church. She goes to Lakewood Church, and then she tells me, hey, why don't you guys come? So JD, JD and I, happy peppy, thinking, okay, we're going to go visit this church. And we walk in, and we knew. We knew, we knew, we knew that we had found the place that we were supposed to be. And we went on Saturday night, and it was so funny. We were so excited and so hyper. We went the next all three services thinking it would be different. <laughs> we're like, we're going to live in this place. <laughs> we are here. So we're in this church, right, and we knew we were supposed to be there. And, you're, and at this point, you're going, oh, yeah, everything just started to happen. No. That's where everything stopped. For the next three years, J.D. and I tried everything we knew how to do to connect, but we couldn't connect. We couldn't figure it out. We're like, God, what is going on? We're in here, and he joined the choir, and he's trying to connect with people, but he's still trying to learn English. And, you know, I'm working, and he's working, and we're doing everything we can to make it ends meet. But it was three very, very, very hard years. We just, it just wasn't happening. And to be honest with you, we were becoming weary. 
We're like, God, you took us from pastoring in his dad's church. We were leading the youth. The youth was growing. Everything was going great. We were doing well to this place. And we know you brought us here, but what's going on? Did we hear it wrong? Is this the wrong place? Is this the, like, what are we doing? What is going on? It felt dark. And it felt lonely. And it felt like God had just said, okay, peace out. You do things on your own now. I've, I've done my part. Right? And so at that moment, I got, my parents were, um, were thinking about moving to Florida because my aunt lived in Florida. So they were kind of feeling the same thing, you know. They were feeling lonely. They didn't know why they were there. And so they thought, well, why don't we move to Florida? At least we have family there. And so J.D. and I contemplated that because nothing had happened. Nothing had happened. Nothing that we thought God was going to miraculously do immediately hadn't happened. And so we're sitting there going, okay, what do we do? And so I got a little bold, as I often do with God, not because I feel like God has to do it my way, because, but because I know that if I'm real and if I'm honest and if I, could just, I just want to hear from God, he is faithful to respond. So I got a little bold and I said, God, there's an opportunity in this company that I'm in to become an assistant manager, to move up. I have no qualifications. I have no experience. I don't know what they do, but I want the job. If you want us to stay here, I want you to open the door. That was bold. That was bold. I know. I said, I need you to open the door. I just need, I need your hand. I need your substantial hand that you are in this. And I, it was funny because I was the one setting up the interviews for the manager to meet with people that wanted the job. And I promise you, I, did, I set them up. I didn't sabotage. I, I set them up. But something happened that somebody got sick that they were supposed to meet, and somebody got sick, and the manager wasn't supposed to, I mean, wasn't able to meet with them. And so she comes in the next day, and she looks at me. She goes, okay, I'll give you 30 days. If you can do the job, the job is yours. And I thought, all right, God. All right, I'll take the job. See, much, I, I'm sharing this because much like your, you guys, there have been many moments of hope deferred. You know, the Bible says that hope deferred makes your heart sick, right? And there have been many moments of hope deferred in our lives. And I want to speak into this moment for a little bit because sometimes we think that because God is silent, he is not there. And that's not true. We think that because he is silent, um, you know, he, he's gone. And he's not. Silence means that it's time for us to grow up. Silence, the moments of silence is teaching us to trust. It's teaching us to remain. It's teaching us to not be led by our feelings, right? Those moments of silence, those moments that we in church call them valleys. We often say, I'm going through a valley. Well, those are the moments where God is going, babe, dig your heels in, learn. Learn, learn, learn. Those are the moments we, we, we honor God with our trust, we honor him when we stay in the last place that he told us to be. In moments of silence, is not moment to move. It's moment to remain and to be faithful and to say, God, I am here. You put me here and I am going to do everything you told me to do until you tell me to do something else. Right? That's what silence is. And so God doesn't leave us ever. And I want to tell you that he never left. He never left. But that was our moment to dig our heels in and grow and grow some roots. And when you can't see, I always, I always like to share this because I hold it very dear to my heart. When you can't see the hand of God, you trust his heart. He is for you and he loves you. And so as the story continues, right, we didn't move to Florida. We got the job. 
And I got, because I had, you know, answered prayer gets you a little more bold, I sent an email to Lakewood. <laughs> I said, hey, um, JD and I have been going to Lakewood, you know, for your church for three years, and uh, we're trying to connect, and uh, we want to volunteer. Is there any place anywhere we will do anything? Is there anything we can do to plug in and to volunteer? And that same afternoon, the young adult administrator um, responded. The youth and young adult administrator responded to us, and, you know, long story short, we were plugged in within that week. We were volunteering in the church, and within, I think it was four or five months, I was working in the youth department, and then uh, about a year after, J.D. is working. And so for now, both J.D. and I, one answered prayer, one response, changed a lot of things. And so we worked at Lakewood for about seven years, um, he and I. And then, you know, as, a, as most of you guys know, we got pregnant, we had Maya, we purchased a home, and we thought everything was great and, you know, we're going to live here for the rest of our lives. And who else would go? I mean, why would you go anywhere else? Lakewood is the best place in the world to be. I mean, of churches, it's like, you know, this is where you get to see to impact the world. This is where you get to see lives changed in the bazillions, right? So Lakewood was it. And we were right. And then our hearts began to change. And both he and I began to feel a sense of shift. And it was funny because pastor had been preaching. There's a shift coming. And we're like, oh, not for there's a shift coming. Yeah, you know those words we speak over you guys? <laughs> we know what we're doing. Um, pastor began to preach, there's a shift coming. And we felt the shift inside. And we're like, what is going on? We had just purchased a home. We have a new baby. We're not going anywhere. We felt a shift coming. And so both JD and I um, <laughs> started to pray about it, right? Because you're like almost the, the rebuking prayer. But we started to pray. Because <laughs> it's cray-cray. <laughs> You, I mean, we're plugged in. We have community. We have family. We have you know, a kid. We have a house. Like, who leaves that? Who leaves that? So we went back to the drawing board, and we did what we know how to do. We were like, God, we have these responsibilities. We have these things ahead. I just, listen, our answer to you is yes, but we need to know it's you. We need to know you're speaking to us. We need to know, and here's, and I like to make lists because I, just do. And so I put a list of several things before God. And I said, God, you know, we need to sell our home. And God, we need this. And God, we want our supervisors, the people that are, you know, over us and our pastors to have a blessing and have something to say, speak into it. We want them to see it. And we also want you to tell us what, <laughs> what where, where are we going and, you know, what we're doing. And so we made this list. And I vividly remember, okay, that I was sitting in my bed, I was praying, I was going, God, I don't know what you want from us, I feel it, I don't know what it is, but you know what, you have my phone number and you have my email, tell me something. Got emails, guys. So at that same moment, JD is in a meeting at, a, at the pastor's house, at the young adult pastor's house, and they're in, a meet in the middle of the meeting, and he forwards me an email. No reason for him to forward me that email at that moment. They were currently in the meeting. But he sends it over. He didn't know I was praying. I was home, and I look at the timestamp of that email, and that email was for us to go to a church planting conference with, through an organization called ARC. And I get that email, and I go, oh, gosh. <laughs> you want us to go to what? <laughs> so I knew, I knew in my heart that that was an answer to what I was praying. And so J.D. and I get ready to go to this church planting conference, right? We get ready, we go. And I kid you not, guys, everything started to line up. The house sold. The, the what was coming about. Our supervisors looked at us and blessed us and prayed over us and said, we believe in you. We believe what God is placing in your hearts. We're so for it. This is the right thing to do. 
And we're like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so everything was falling into place. And he, gave, he made the way. He gave the why. He, the how. Everything. Everything was in place. And now it was time to move. And we land here. And then things got real. We are in Stanford, Connecticut. And our plan was to get a job. Uh, to, for both of us to get a job, to be able to not eat up our savings, right? We had money saved up, and we were here, and things here are way more expensive in Texas. And so we were like, okay, we're, we're going to try to get a job, both of us, and handle things until, you know, the church launches and we're able to come on staff or any of that. Well, guys, when I tell you that J.D. probably sent over, I mean, applied to more than 100 jobs, and Target denied him, I mean, who does get hired at Target? <laughs> Apple, <laughs> Apple, he had an IT background. Apple denied him. But like at some point we were like, God, what is going on? And we knew, we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was shutting those doors. We just knew you're not going to focus on anything else. You're going to focus on what I brought you here to do. That was it. We knew it. And so, okay, we're like, we're, we're you know, we're surviving. God, God is taking care of us in every way, shape, or form. He's taking care of us. And I had a job for about four months. I worked at a gym and uh, sold memberships at the gym. And I'm a great salesperson, guys. <laughs> so I'm at this gym, and I had to quit. And we find out we're pregnant. We found out we're pregnant. And, yes, it was an unplanned pregnancy by us, not by God. We find out we're pregnant, and I kid you not, we didn't even immediately find out that it was twins. We didn't know until about 10 weeks. Um, we went to our first doctor, real doctor's appointment, and it does an ultrasound, and the guy is just talking, oh, yeah, so you guys have, you know, and JD is looking at the monitor, and he goes, wait, is that two? And the doctor was like, yeah, I thought you knew. Uh, no. <laughs> what? It was so funny. J.D. is like excited. You know him, right? He is excited and happy and telling everyone and talking to the nurses. And I am in shock. I'm sitting there going, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> For three days, I am like, I don't want to talk to anyone. He's sending out text messages and pictures. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone. It's three. It's two babies. So we find out it's two babies. But immediately we find out that this is a high-risk pregnancy. Immediately, we find out that we are having complications. And so the, the, our doctor says, I cannot take your case. I need to send you to a specialist. And he sends us to a specialist. Um, and the specialist is, in, is giving us a list a mile long of potential complications and risks and things that are going wrong, that could go wrong. And his advice is that we terminate. And JD and I look at each other and say, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so we trust. And I, can, I cannot tell you the dichotomy that that room was. It's, it was a dark room. It's kind of rainy in the background. And the doctor's talking to us and gloom and doom, and that's all he's giving us. But inside, the peace of God that surpasses all of understanding, that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, is coming alive. And J.D. and I sit in that room and we go, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We need another doctor, but it's going to be fine. <laughs> so we find another doctor an hour away in, in Denbury. And now we have to make this trip um, often. They want to, the doctors wanted me to be bedridden, but I said that's not going to happen either. We're in the process of launching a church, mind you. 
Um, we, had, we, we had a small team of about 15 people at that point, I think, or five. I don't remember. There's a lot you block out when you're going through this, guys. Um, and so we had a small team. And uh, when I was about four months pregnant now with all these, you know, kind of monitoring the babies, making sure that they were still alive, one, we go into um, a JOM tour in um, Pastor Joel's tour in Yankee Stadium. He's here in Yankee Stadium, and we go over there um, to just, you know, be with them and to be at the Night of Hope. And we're there, and there's this young lady who, who we had known, and she had been in our um, connect group in, in Houston, and we had developed a really great relationship. Her name is Bianca. I have a picture of Bianca. Bianca approaches me, and she says, I don't know. I don't really understand or really know anything, but I know that God is, I feel like God is telling me to go help you guys. And I look at her and I go, huh? She goes, yeah, I feel like God is telling me to leave everything and go help you guys for a few months. And I took a deep breath and I was like, God, you need to speak to her because I cannot be responsible for, you know, like, I don't know what you're doing. And she goes, I feel like that is, I would have no bills. I just come and stay with you guys. I just feel like that's what it. And a few months later, we had our first preview service here in September, first or second Sunday of September, and she arrived the Friday before. And the first preview service, guys, was pretty crazy. It was, you know, you're trying to put everything together, and I don't know if anybody was here, but um, first preview service. That Sunday night, I am in so much pain because um, I was climbing things. Those of you that were here were like, stop doing that. I was like, but I was in pain, right? And so I ended up having to go to the hospital, and Bianca was there. I want to tell you that God is always ahead of you. He is always ahead of you. He knows what you will need before you need it. So Bianca was there to stay with Maya. Because mind you, I had a baby. I had another baby who needed to go to school, who her life needed to continue. And they needed, she didn't have any family here. She didn't have anyone. And God knew the cry of my heart. This, that, that little girl, what was she feeling? And so Bianca was here who knew her, who loved her, to take care of her and stay with her as I am having now to go to, the, to Danbury every day to monitor these kids. Monitoring them one hour there, one hour back to make sure that they were alive. I was monitoring to see if they were alive, if they weren't get, getting like badly f developed inside and being formed you know, if they were being actually really fully formed or if anybody could die at any moment inside, all of that. Was a, was a potential. And so she was here, and then, you know, um, about, we had our second preview service in October, and then the day after, we went into the hospital to deliver these babies. It was, at that point, I had developed a few complications um, that they needed to get them out. They needed to come out. And so on October 14th, 2013, <laughs> I lose my dates, 2000, October 13, 2014, yes. They were born, and this is what the doctor pulled out. This is their umbilical cords. Now, if you look at that, that could have meant death in every way, shape, or form. That could have been developmental complications. That could have been, I mean, a myriad of bad news. This is what they pulled out. And the doctor looks at us and says, can I take a picture because I've never seen this before? I want to tell you that God is faithful. I want to tell you that God is ahead of you. I want to tell you that if you can get outside of yourself and trust the Lord, he will make a way. He will make a way for you. I mean, down to little things like God sent my in-laws to come to my house. They arrived at our house the day after we brought the babies home. The babies were in the NICU for one full month. They arrived a day after 
Um, we bought the babies home, and they took care of everything in the house for me. They took care of the cleaning, the cooking, the everything. They took care of everything for JD and I, and all we had to do was to learn how to be parents to these two babies. Now, when they said they were coming for the three weeks, I thought they were crazy. I thought, you guys are going to come when I'm, like, trying to figure out how to be a mom here. But this was God's provision. I'm sending you help. God is faithful. God is good. Now, let me tell you something. Why am I sharing all of this with you? Because I want you to know that it's not always easy. I want you to know that signing up to a relationship with Jesus does not mean everything goes perfect. It does not mean that now you're going to set sail and everything is going to be beachy. Right? You're going to be, it's not. Okay, not knowing whether my girls were going to live or die was hard. Not knowing whether this church was going to launch was hard. Not having family or anybody that we knew to support us through it all was hard. The first year of the girl's birth, my best friend passed away. It was hard. Making it here every Sunday and finding strength inside myself to encourage someone else was hard. It was hard. God is faithful. God is faithful. There's this passage in Hebrews 6, 19. And it says, we have, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Are you secure? comes when we can struggle and remain hope is a function of struggle and the Lord is our hope in these times and it does not mean that you will not struggle but it does mean that you can remain you can remain you can stand knowing that God is going before you so why do we have this unshakable hope we have it because God is our source because God is always there. He's the foundation. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. That's his promise. He will never, ever abandon you. See, the Bible says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in me is faithful to complete it. Now, I want to tell you this morning that God, there's two things in this passage. Number one, it's the good work. The work that he begins in you is not bad, it's good. And he is faithful, he will complete it. God doesn't start things and leave them hanging. He will complete it. So I want to give you three things really fast that I have learned, that JD and I have learned and we have lived. And every story is different and your journey may be different. But I tell you my journey because I want you to know that it's not free from trials, it's not free from struggles, but it is of a faithful God. And He is faithful to work in your life. I don't know what you're going through, but there are three principles I have learned in this journey that I know applies to all of us because they're foundational principles of faith. There are three things I learned to do when things got dark and they did. Number one is when everything is dark and when you don't have, you know, you don't feel 
the feels, when you're not happy, when it's just dark and lonely, I want to I want to encourage you to find a song and worship. You worship the Lord through it. You worship, you find a song. I mean, you can ask Catherine. She comes over my house every week. And sometimes she'll walk in and there's a song on repeat. It's playing all day. So I want to tell you something. I have learned that I put God in his place. If I put him in his place, my trouble is not that big. My concern is not that big. Who can conquer? Who can beat me when God is for me? In everything, we are more than conquerors. That's the promise. And so I put a worship song and I play it over and over and over until I convince my soul to believe it. Because sometimes we have to convince ourselves. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves what we are going to believe. Sometimes we have to command our souls, why are you cast down? Get up. Get up and believe in this Lord. Get up and figure it out. Get up. And so I put that worship song and I'll let it play until I can't, I can't hear it anymore. Because I'm going to place God in his throne. And he is faithful and he is good. See, sometimes we forget that he's good. He's good. No matter what you're facing, he's still good. That doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change who he is. So you connect to God. You worship. The other thing I do is I call a friend. Now, I don't call a friend to tell them what's wrong with my life. I don't call a friend to give them a list of how bad I'm feeling. I call a friend to talk to someone, to have some conversation, to something, to just kind of connect to someone else, to feel what they're feeling, to talk about their day, to talk about other things. I don't know. I call someone. This is not to regurgitate the issues in your life, but it is to connect. We were designed to connect. You cannot isolate. You cannot back away. You cannot stand alone. You cannot hide. That is not an option. Do not hide when you're going through things. Walk into and towards relationship. Lean in. Connect to others. And the last thing I do, and the last thing we do, is that I will go ahead and find someone else to encourage. When I am down, when I am low, I will sow a seed of encouragement. I got up here every Sunday and I dug deep in everything that I had. Anywhere I can find an encouragement, I spoke encouragement into you. Because I know that if I sow, I will reap. I know that if I take the time to look at someone else and say, hey, you're going to make it. I will make it too. Right? We connect to purpose. God has called us to be a light in this earth. Salt and light. And so that means we need to walk into places. doesn't matter how we feel. We walk into places and we encourage someone else. And we find the light and we find hope for them when they don't have it. Because in the process of connecting to what God has designed you to do, you will find relief for your situation. You will find it. I tell you all these things because I want you to know that we all go through it. We all go through things. JD and I, were not exempt. We don't have a special connection to God that makes us exempt from things, right? We don't. We all go through it. You've been through ups and downs, and we continue. And there's many, many, many more, more parts to the story that I can tell you for days. But I, I, I have learned to stand on God's goodness and his faithfulness. Because he will show up. He will show up. He always does. Amen. I ask you to stand for me.